Shut up and sit down. What's up, guys? What's up? What's up? What's up? We're jumping right in, babies. We're jumping right in. The sun is shining. Feeling good. And this is episode 31 of the Quiet Part Loud podcast. I'm Daryl. I'm your host, as always. And it's good to be back. That's my dog freaking out in his crate because my wife just took our other dog out for a walk and he's still recovering from a knee transplant. So he can't walk but he doesn't know that. So you can probably hear that in the background. And I apologize. Hopefully it won't last very much longer. Um, Been eating a lot of bread. I'm getting getting into baking, guys. Getting into uh, baking breads um, at home and and making pizzas and and different, you know, different bits like that, homemade pasta and things, you know, because if you go to the grocery store, and look on the pack of on the back of a packet of bread there's about 30 ingredients in the bread and if you are familiar with bread it should only have four ingredients so everything outside of flour water yeast you know the the components of you know butter whatever you're using for your bread that's it there should not be any stabilizers, there should not be any preservatives, there should not be any of this bleach or whatever else is in there that you can't pronounce. Um, so we decided that we're going to venture into getting familiar with making our own dough and making our own bread and, you know, eating healthy, whereas, you know, that sort of carbohydrate is concerned. Um However, went a little bit overboard and um, now my face is all swelled up and I'm retaining water and I feel bloated. So that's great. But on the, good, on the, on the positive side, I'm eating healthier in terms of when I eat bread, um, but it's still having a similar bloating effect on me. So that's not great. And I look like a bit of a fat fuck. Um, speaking of fat fucks. Uh, we have now, I mentioned on the last podcast, we were waiting for this countdown for Trump to announce whether he, he was going to pull out of the Iranian nuclear deal and, you know, not to many people's surprise, he has done. Um, he has said that, he has said that it's the worst deal America's ever made and it's uh, basically rotten to the core, doesn't stop Iran from obtaining a nuclear weapon, all of which is wrong, all of which is completely fabricated and untrue. The Iranian nuclear deal, which is supported by five other countries, including the UK, Germany, France, who have all pleaded with him to maintain the arrangement because it is effective and there is no intelligence to, to say otherwise, to say that they violated the agreement, to say they're to, that they're trying to enrich uranium or any of this stuff. But because this thing doesn't take into account other aspects of controlling Iran, like their ballistic missiles program, like their propagation of, um, you know, war in the region and supporting, you know, ISIS and things like that, um, he wants to pull the whole deal. And like the Democrat leader, um, Chuck Schumer said, he's like, well, why not just make another deal and keep this in place? Because this this deal is clearly working, right? And when you reduce somebody's nuclear capability by 98%, when you have inspectors on the ground, 
you know, that make it damn near impossible for the enrichment of uranium to happen. I would say that's a pretty good thing. What I wouldn't say is a good thing is taking that deal off the table and then having the backlash in the Iranian parliament that you've seen where they're burning paper American flags in disapproval and disgust, um, where the leader of Iran, Huaini, um, uh, I believe it is, has come out and said, you know, we're going to stick with this agreement, with this agreement, with the other countries that are still abiding and maintaining the agreement. But if this thing fractures, then we're going to start riching uranium to the best of our abilities, which then is going to destabilize the region further. And I wonder if overall that's the point. And that's why he actually pulled out of this deal. Because if you think about it, his intelligence community, all of them have said they are definitely, Iran is definitely not violating this agreement. They are well in compliance with this agreement. The, uh, Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson of the UK has said the same thing. Um, Macron, the uh, French uh, president, has said the same thing. The intelligence services in Germany have said the same thing. You know who hasn't said the same thing? You know who has convinced Donald Trump that Iran is lying and violating this agreement? Benjamin Netanyahu from Israel. So Trump has basically said, fuck all of our allies, fuck all of the intelligence community. I'm going to listen to Benny because he came out on television, provided a whole bunch of folders. Fuck knows what's in them. I've heard it's bullshit. Um, but why is this information not being shared with the other communities in the, um, in the Iranian nuclear agreement? Why is this not being shared with the UK? Because if it was so conclusive then we would all be imposing the sanctions that America has chosen to put back on the table, right? Because a clear violation of the agreement is exactly why the, the agreement was in place, right? To stop the proliferation of a nuclear program that would allow them to develop chemical or to, to develop nuclear weapons, right? And if Germany saw that and France saw that and the UK saw that, don't you think that they would be as interested in stopping that as possible but it's just like this one source that comes from a war criminal because benjamin netanyahu is a fucking war criminal the way he's treated the palestinian people subjugated them to basically being enslaved in their own country resettled rehoused rehomed left destitute treated like third fourth fifth class citizens you know, you see Israeli forces, you know, abusing children all the time in Palestine, right? He's a disgusting pig. And I mean, he was up for corruption charges fucking two months ago, right? But Trump has vowed his loyalty to Israel like, you know, others have in the past, but never so overtly. Like he's moving the consulate to Jerusalem to say, to basically stake, like who the fuck does he, who gives him the right to say anything about that? Right. But because Israel are the nuclear power in the region and because there's such a, an intricate tie with America and has been for so long. What we find ourselves in a position of is having to negotiate foreign policy based on these sorts of agreements rather than diplomacy.
because nobody in that region likes Israel, including Iran, who effectively want them gone, right? And they've said as much. So this is a way of effectively turning the tables on Iran to say, we're going to make you as weak and as vulnerable and as mad and angry and as hostile as possible so that if we want to, we can destabilize this region even further and push our own interests in the region and the interest of our allies like Israel, right? The problem for me is at the same time that he's doing this and pulling out of the Iranian nuclear deal, we're seeing the ongoing talks with North Korea and Kim Jong-un and everything like that. And the there's a clear symbol there. And the more you look into it, like I said the other day, oh, you know, Trump deserves a lot of credit for this, um, uh, for this denuclearization of the, you know, Korean Peninsula and the talks that are happening that haven't happened in, you know, in many decades. Um, and I, I still hold fast to that. But I also hold fast to the point that I made that we need to silo the credit in terms of his wider policies, his wider administration, his wider behavior, his wider attitudes, comments, and all of the other things that he spews out on a daily basis that are absolutely negative, not only for America, but for America's allies and the world as a global community, you know, overall. So I want to silo the credit that I'm giving him for the bullying tactics that seem to work, right? Um, because that's all it was. Forget the Nobel Peace Prize. No Nobel Peace Prize should be awarded um, under the guise of threats, right? That's not how peace should work. Um, it's not a roadmap for long-standing peace agreements. And if I'm Kim Jong-un, and I'm like, well, you want me to get rid of my entire nuclear program? Well, wasn't that what the fucking Iranian deal was? And now you've just turned around and said, fuck that deal. We're going to write a new one. What's going to stop you doing the same thing to me once I get rid of all my shit and all my weapons and my whole program? Yes, Kim Jong-un seems to be seems to be putting out signals that he wants to bring North Korea into the rest of the world, Right. There are trilateral trilateral talks happening between North, South Korea, and China, which, if you dig into this a little bit more, they're as important in this conversation and deserve a lot of this credit from a diplomatic point of view, which has a lot better long-term outcome, as Trump is with his bullying tactics. Now, I get that bullying tactics have made this thing move along, you know, probably faster than they normally would have. And that's why I give them credit for it because we've seen three Americans released and these are, you know, these are all gestures by Kim Jong-un to say, listen, we want to come into the global community now. We're bankrupt as a nation. We are starving as a nation. We have no trade other than that, which is with China. Um, so we need help and we want to come into the global community and we want to do that by... You know, we've been bullied into it, but it was also something that we wanted to do. But if I'm seeing this this um, rescinding of an agreement on the Iranian side of things, it makes me wonder 
what's stopping him from doing it to North Korea? And I wonder if the North Korean advisors are saying this to Kim Jong-un. It sends a really, really bad message. Um, so we'll see what happens. But the good news is three Americans have been released from North Korea. They've just landed. And that's going to take the headlines, right? And everybody wants to give credit, and they should give credit. But they should not by osmosis, give credit to everything else that he's doing or validate everything else that Trump is doing because I just don't think it carries any weight. And the evidence to pull out of this Iranian nuclear agreement is garbage because if you just scratch the surface and look at the top-level details from the intelligence communities around the world, there is zero indication for any of this action to be taking place. So there has to be an ulterior motive. And that ulterior motive has been kind of spearheaded or at least the key to turn on the motor of this change has been uh has been started by benjamin netanyahu so the israeli and american connection there for destabilizing the other parties in that region for israeli benefit makes me wonder makes me wonder and you know we haven't seen this borne out yet so we don't know where this is going I just don't think that Trump is the type of guy that just does things benevolently for the good and the sake of humanity. He just does not strike me as that type of person. He's a narcissistic psycho, you know. He's um, he's he's crude to, to say the least. You know, he's a crude thinker. He's a crude talker. He's a, he's a crude actor. He's a very crude and uncouth character. He has no diplomacy in him whatsoever. He's a bully. He only knows bully diplomacy. And if he wasn't in charge of the most powerful military that the world has ever known, his tactics would not work. But let's not forget that the world is moving on without America. The talks between European countries, the talks between Europe and Asia, the talks between Europe and uh, South America or Latin America or South Africa or the African nations. It's all going on whether Trump wants to come on board or not. And that's why I emphasize that this is a siloed um, this is a siloed incident that deserves credit, but it shouldn't be applied to everything that he's doing because for the majority, Everything that Donald Trump has done since his administration started has been negative. And you only need to look at the facts. Like, people are like, well, the, the economy's uh, churning over. Yes, and the economy works in cycles. Has it been boosted by the deregulation that he's introduced in certain um, aspects of industry? Of course. Of course. But there's no long-term goal there. And when you're fucking around with environmental regulations and protections... The long-term goal should not be removal of regulation for quick profit. It should be the implementation of smart regulations for long-term profit in different amended industries, right? We don't do clean coal. That's a contradiction, right? There's no such thing as clean coal, right? We want to rely on nuclear, but all of our nuclear power plants are 30 years old, right? So... What we need to do is transition to the obvious solution, which is renewable, sustainable energy sources, right? Which is not affected by those regulations that were in place, but removing them allows you to develop commercial 
uh, interests and opportunities on public lands that were previous, previously protected. You know, the tax breaks that everybody was like, oh, this is amazing. Okay, but they're temporary. And what happens after? The only permanent tax cuts are for corporations, which effectively equates to Donald Trump putting money in his own pocket and the pockets of his friends. He's been quoted as saying, I just made you guys a shit ton of money when talking about those tax breaks to his corporate interests. So the benevolence does not exist within a personality as narcissistic as Donald Trump. Let's get that clear very, very, very crystal clear. Um, but also his alignment with buddies and what they can do for him post-presidency is where he's aligning right now. And him taking Benjamin Netanyahu's word on Iran over basically the global intelligence community and all of his uh, closest allies, apart from Israel, he's ignored and discounted anything that they have to say. So what's the ulterior motive? I suppose we'll have to see. But this is not a podcast about Donald Trump. This is not a podcast about foreign policy, politics, or any of that other shit. The reason that we're here today, and we're already just past 15 minutes in, so I apologize for the upfront rant, but I, I, gotta, I gotta keep you guys informed, right? I gotta keep you guys updated and shit in case you're not seeing the moves, seeing what's happening. And if you're just looking at it at the news story that it is. But we're not here for any of that. Today's a preview show. We're looking at this weekend's event in the UFC, UFC 224 uh, from Rio in Brazil. Uh, it's broadcasting 3 a.m. British Standard Time. And, you know, in all honesty, I'll let you guys know, this is not one that you probably want to stay up for. It's probably one that you want to record and watch it the next day. Sunday. The day of rest, the day of reflection, why not the day of fights? Pop that bitch on in the morning, start your Sunday off right. But I wouldn't be staying up to watch this. You know, 3 o'clock in the morning, the main card kicks off. So you're going to be up till 6.30, 7 o'clock before, you know, it probably finishes somewhere around there. Do yourself a favor, just catch it on the replay or catch it on the record. I mean, there's some good fights potentially on the card. But uh, I don't know if anything is worth breaking down past the main card. Uh, you've got a number of... So you, on the early prelims on Fight Pass, on UFC Fight Pass, you've got four cards. Uh, you've got four, car, um, four fights on the prelims, which will be on BT Sport. So you'll catch those if you record them. And then there's five on the main on the main card. And that's what we're going to talk about today because we're going to go quickly through it. Um, it's really, for me, it's kind of a tale of two distinctive stories um, in terms of the matchups that we're looking at. And I'll break you down those five and then we'll move on. But first, I want to talk about a couple of bits in MMA news that you may have seen or may not have seen. I'm not sure, but um, I just want to give my thoughts on it because I think it's worth giving my thoughts on. How about that? Because I want to. How about that? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, 
<coughs> pardon me. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the the news that discussions are currently happening to line up a fight for GSP and who his next opponent will be and when it will be, etc. If you haven't if you've seen it, you already know what's coming. If you haven't seen it, can you guess who GSP is fighting next? Cuz I would never have put this guy in the mix in the conversation for potential next fights for GSP. It's Nate Diaz. GSP versus Nate Diaz. I don't know what weight class this is at, but I hope for Nate Diaz it's at 155 so that he can get George to suck a whole bunch of weight and maybe come in, you know, not in tip-top shape. Because if they fight at 170, this is going to be brutal. GSP is way too big. His wrestling's way too good. I know Nate's got amazing jiu-jitsu. And, you know, that slap boxing kind of style. But GSP's already beaten his brother. Right? GSP already beat Nick. So, I just don't, like, I love the DS brothers. The fucking DS brothers, man. I fucking love the DS brothers. They're amazing to watch. Right? They're fun fights. They're entertaining shit talkers. We love the Stockton swag. We love the grimy gangster attitude. We love the fights that they put on. No doubt. But I just don't see what this does other than gives Nate a paycheck. And obviously GSP a fucking paycheck as well. But I just don't see what this does for either one of their resumes. Unless, of course, Nate can beat him up and win the fight, which I just I just don't see happening because GSP is too smart of a fighter. He's not going to be... He's not going to become a victim of shit talking. Like I said, he's already seen this before. He fought Nick. He already fought Nick Diaz. So, I just don't get the appeal. It seems like a really for-what type of matchup. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm going to fucking watch it because GSP is my favorite fighter of all time. And like I just said, I love the Diaz brothers. Um, I just, in the grand scheme of things, I don't see what this does. I don't see the mark that this puts on GSP's legacy. And like I said, unless Nate somehow manages to crack him with a shot or catch him in a transition on the ground if it happens to go there which it most certainly will because GSP is going to wrestle him and beat the shit out of him on the ground I just I don't see the point of making the fight but like I said I'm going to watch it because I watch every fight I watch every fight in the UFC I may not be able to recall them like um, like Rogan does or one of these guys, but I have not missed a UFC event in 15, to 15 or more years. So I know the history and I know the resumes. And for me, this just doesn't seem to add up to anything other than a paycheck and an opportunity maybe for, for Nate Diaz. Because if he was to like say, you know, <clears throat> if he was to finish GSP or win in some way, he'd be able, be able to maybe call out Connor 
and get that fire started again. But that's a bit fruitless as well because Connor might, you know, he's not going to jail. Chill on that. Slow your roll on it. Whoever says that, that's not happening. He's going to get a fine. He's going to get community service. He's going to have to attend some behavior management or anger management classes. And that's going to be fucking it. They would rather take his money than put him in prison. He does nobody any good sitting in a prison cell. It's an arbitrary show of force that accomplishes absolutely fuck all. So Connor's not going to jail. Let's just let's just nix that as an idea, as a thing. Right? They just literally got MMA into the state. They're not gonna kill its biggest star. It's not happening. So expect a fine. Expect <clears throat> some community service. Expect anger management classes. Expect those types of things. But don't expect jail because it's not happening. So irregardless of the consequences, he's still out for a while. So I don't know if this lines up in terms of timing. Uh, when that call out might make sense, but that's really the only upside to this that I see. Um, the reality is I see GSP sticking behind his jab, getting close, getting a hold of him, taking him down, double-legging him to the floor, and fucking ground and pounding him. He manhandled Bisbing, who's way bigger than him. What do you think he's going to do to Nate Diaz? I mean, the stories of GSP in practice are are th the stuff of legends. The people he trains with, there's no one higher level to train with. He's a fucking gymnast, for Christ's sakes. Peter Berg said, they filmed an Under Armour commercial a while ago. Like, this was, we're going back maybe six years, seven years. But... He said, I've worked with NFL guys. I've worked with NBA guys. I've worked with all kinds of athletes, especially on this particular shoot because it was an Under Armour shoot. He's like, I've never seen an athlete like George St. Pierre. He's just of a different level with his mentality, his mindset, um, his physical attributes, his natural, um, his natural athletic talent and ability, but also then the work ethic and like I said before, the mentality that ties it all together. He's like, it's, it's, it's on another level. And if you follow GSP on Instagram, you see it. He's, he's in, he does gymnastics and shit. He's on like the parallel bars doing like flips and shit. It's, GSP is the one that changed the game, not only in terms of overall MMA skill set, but developing what what I think can only be classed as the smart way of training. The scientific approach to training. This was from GSP, basically, right? He was the one that started doing a mental coach. He was the one that was started periodization of his training camps in terms of all of the elements that he would incorporate and how he would train. Like this was all from, from TriStar and for us a hobby and, and, and GSP. They made us, they really introduced the science of it, you know, which is why people like Rory McDonald and, you know, developed as a teenager over there with those guys and, and became so good. You know, they, um, they, they really changed the game. So for me, like, 
it would be a fight where you should just lay a bet on Nick Diaz or Nate Diaz just in case. You know, it's one of those. It's a Matt Sarah type of shock moment. That that's all this is. Because the betting odds say this goes to the ground and Nate Diaz comes out of it a bloody fucking mess on a TKO stoppage or a submission. Because don't get it twisted, GSP will submit Nate Diaz. No problem, he can do that. His jujitsu is fucking top level. What's what? What is Nate Diaz going to do to GSP? Slap him, throw fingers in his face, talk shit? He's already seen it from the guy you learned it from. And it didn't phase him. GSP is a different level, okay? So, again, final point. I don't see the point in that fight. And if it does happen, <coughs> you, it's just so lopsided in St. Pierre's favor. So, that's one piece of news that came out of the MMA world this week. The other bit that came out of uh, the MMA world this week, which I thought was worth talking about, and only for a minute because it's absolutely asinine, is the potential matchup, or at least calling out, um, I'm going to call this Jackson versus Jackson, right? And the reason is, both of the potential um, combatants in this particular instance have the last name, share the last name, Jackson. The first one, if you're an MMA fan, or if you like, you know, um, 90s style action movies, you'll know this man. If you've seen the remake of the A-Team, or any Pride Fighting Championship highlights, you'll know this guy. Right? Quentin Rampage Jackson, Rampage Jackson, fucking hell, is an MMA legend. He's been around since the beginning days of Pride, fucking people up, powerbombing people. You know, he's got a highlight reel. He's a junkyard dog with the big gold chain. But he's like old now, right? He's at the end of his career. He's over in Bellator. He's taking whatever fights, I guess. I don't really watch um, a ton of Bellator, which I you know, should probably start doing more if I'm going to do these breakdowns because it'll just widen the, the landscape a little bit. But he's over there. And he was recently called out by another individual by the last name of Jackson. No, not Bo Jackson. And no, it's not Randy Jackson from American Idol. It's Curtis Jackson. And if you don't know who Curtis Jackson is, then maybe I can introduce you to songs like In the Club or Wangsta or whatever the fuck else he's made 15 years ago when I was interested in him and his music. 50 Cent has basically called out Quentin Rampage Jackson to say, you know, he could get it. If we got if we got mashed up in the octagon, he could get it. I mean, you know, talk about talk about the wrong way of going and getting the spotlight shined back on you. Talk about the way the wrong way of getting attention. Talk about the wrong way of trying to make yourself 
relevant, I guess. I don't know what the fucking point of this is. Maybe he wants to be a promoter. Maybe he wants to be a matchmaker. Maybe he wants to start an organization or get into representing fighters or something. I don't fucking know. But the way you don't do it, 50, is by calling out a legend of the sport who is way past his prime, who has already had his best days well behind him. And uh, you don't do it to a guy that despite all of those things would still whoop your fucking ass. And I would venture to say without breaking a sweat. And I say this because what we're talking about here is a rapper wanna be gangster because let's be honest now 50's not a gangster right he may have been at one point in time right but now he's just a broke ass rapper who lies about his finance and tries to dick ride whatever the hot shit of the minute is with some controversial non-conformist point of view to make himself relevant when what he needs to do is Go and hook up with Vivica A. Fox again and get out of everybody's faces. And the last thing that 50 Cent should be doing is calling out a guy who could disfigure his entire body. Because unless this is some like mutual PR stunt, I don't think Rampage would take kindly to be <laughs> to being called out by a rapper. And I haven't checked if there's any response on this yet. <coughs> But let's just put it this way. 50 may have been in fist fights before, right? No problem. We've all been in fist fights. I would say, you know, I'd venture a guess at saying most guys at some point in their life have been in a fist fight. Maybe I'm completely wrong on that, by the way. Um, so let's say he has had a few fist fights and say he has taken a couple of lumps, right? Okay, cool. Not by a guy who's been professionally punching people for 20 years. You have not been in a fight with a guy like that. That's just boxing, right? Because there's no doubt in my mind that Quentin Rampage Jackson is a better fucking boxer than 50 Cent is. There's no doubt in my mind. Now, the second thing and what the main thing is, or one of certainly many main things, components of MMA that makes it impossible for anybody that isn't proficient in MMA training and fighting to have any chance against someone who is if they come from either a different discipline, i.e. boxing, or some other industry like pro wrestling or acting and entertainment or something like that, right? Now, the <clears throat> caveat to this is obviously Brock Lesnar, who did have some success in the octagon with very little experience in terms of MMA training, but nevertheless had some high-level wrestling and is above all one of the most disturbingly freakish human beings you will ever set your eyes on. He, it almost goes it almost goes to say Brock Lesnar is not the same type of species as like a guy like me is 
right? The guy who's six foot three, 260 pounds, fucking 6% body fat at 40 odd years old and can still train like a professional athlete with half of his colon removed. And then me, little fucking semi-athletic white dude who's 5'10", you know, and has a lactose deficiency that keeps him fucking out of the gym, you know, if he has a goat cheese salad, you know? I mean, he's not even the same type of creature as most people walking around on this planet. So there are exceptions to the rules, of course, but even with a guy like Brock Lesnar, who did have his colon problems and his intestinal problems and all of that, when he took a kick and a knee, from Alistair Overeem, you saw how that felt. Now, if this is a guy who's already felt these things before, right? In training, preparation for his, you know, other MMA fights, he would have taken some leg kicks, albeit probably with shin pads on and things like that. But you can still get an idea of that stuff. If you have never been kicked to the leg, and I have because... In my younger days, I used to do uh, kickboxing and things like that. So I have sparred and I have been in the ring and had fights, albeit when I was very young. Um, you never forget what it feels like to have a leg bone or a shin bone, I should say, more specifically, go across your thigh. Or even worse, the inside of your leg, your inner thigh. So if you've never you know, experienced one of these things even from like a 14-year-old. What do you expect is going to happen to a grown man when a professional fighter who's been doing this, punching and kicking and strangling and slamming people for 20 years, does it to a guy who's never experienced it before? It's a different thing altogether. And this is why I just say... 50 needs to close his fucking mouth and move on. Unless this is like a mutual PR thing, and maybe it is, and maybe I'm being sucked right into the middle of it. I don't know, because like I said, I haven't seen any response from Rampage or his side. But if you've never caught an elbow to the face whilst laying on your back with your head pressed against the ground and a man who weighs more than you you know, upwards of 205 pounds comes with all of his force and slams his elbow into your forehead or across your eye or your orbital bone, you don't have any right to call anybody out, comment, or make statements about your interest in fighting in the UFC. Like, just if you're sitting down or if you're standing up, doesn't matter. Slap the inside of your thigh like kind of hard. Not, not hard, just kind of hard. Then do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again. Five slaps of like a medium strength hand slap. Feel how it kind of like you could still feel it like a couple seconds afterwards. It's kind of like a little bit of a pulsating so times that by a million and you'll have some sort of an idea what it feels like to take a shin bone from a grown man 
across the inner thigh <clears throat> or across the quad or better yet where they're the new choice position is to the calf and to the shin and to the ankle. That's like another factor, right? Not only the fact that Rampage would outbox him, but then you enter in leg kicks, but then you enter in kicks in general, but then you enter in knees, but then you enter in wrestling, then you enter in jujitsu, then you enter in putting all of those things together plus ground and pound on the ground. Where else would fucking ground and pound be, Daryl? Um, you know, ground and pound while the guy's on the floor, on his back, staring up at you, and you've never been in that position before. Then, let's just for shits and giggles here, throw in the fact that when you're in competition, five minutes of hitting the bag in the gym versus five minutes of full out defending yourself in a basically life or death situation when the man across the octagon is much more proficient in taking people to the brink of death than you are. And it that's the only, let's be clear, that's the only reason that the refs are in MMA because if you hold a choke on somebody, you kill them, right? They don't just pass out. They end up dying if you continue to block the oxygen from their brain, obviously, Breaking bones, if I can submit you or knock you out, what's to stop me from killing you, effectively? You know you know, you know what I'm getting at here, right? Like, you can see where I'm going with this. 50 has no business stepping inside the fucking octagon. And it enrages me when people look at this sport and they're like, man, it's fucking, anybody could do it. It's just scrapping. It's just fighting. It's just, you know, going in there and winging shots. Okay, you have no fucking idea what you're talking about. You'll notice if you pay attention to the MMA community or the MMA world <coughs> that Floyd Mayweather was touting around the fact that he might come and have um, an MMA fight in the UFC, right? Make a billion dollars. I'm going to come in and do my thing, right? And he started grading himself on his wrestling and on his grappling and on his boxing, you know, and all this different, all of the different components of MMA. Well, Notice how that's not happening anymore. Now, I don't know if it was just because he was trained with Tyrone, Tyrone Woodley and maybe Woodley had a word in his ear or something like that. Or maybe he understands that there is a lot more to this game than maybe he initially thought. Like, it's not easy to defend a takedown on somebody who knows how to take you down. And if you've never been on your back before while another man is physically trying to hurt you and is proficient in that skill, but not only that skill, but holding you on the ground so you don't get up, that is a terrifying place to be for a person who is not familiar with those circumstances. It is a terrifying place to be. So I'll just put it out there for a final time and then we'll move on to the event because we're already 45 minutes into the show. Um... 50 should not fight Quentin Rampage Jackson. News alert, right? Fuck. Tell us something we don't know. But better than that, he should shut the fuck up and bullet into anybody that's not in the fight game. You know, like these Cheeto finger motherfuckers that are on social media that I see like having to go at Darren Till for posting a video of him sparring 
and like cracking his sparring partner and they're saying he's a bully and shit. So he had to post a video that he'd already posted on social media showing him getting hit by his training partner. It's like, just don't comment on these things. You clearly have no fucking idea what you're talking about. You're an internet tough guy, a keyboard warrior. And you just need to shut the fuck up, stay in your lane and get another hobby. Right? 50 needs to do that too. Fighting Quentin Rampage Jackson. You've got to be fucking kidding me. Right. Let's get on to the card. UFC 224, like I said, from Rio. Um, 3 a.m. British time. Uh, record it. Watch it the next day. We've got five bouts, five contests on the main card. And if you record the prelims, you'll get an extra four fights on that. We're not breaking those down. We're just going into the main card. And the first fight on the main card is Vitor Belfort uh, versus Lyoto Machida. So for me, I said earlier, this is this is a card of like two stories for, for a lot of these fights. The, the two stories, I guess, for the Vitor and Lyoto fight is what Vitor are we going to see and how recovered from previous KOs is Machida. What shape are these guys in? Because they're both on the back nine, right? So we're talking age and, you know, some losses and some, you know, things like that. But this is Brazil and these are two Brazilian legends. So you're going to have two very distinct fan bases because they're from different parts of Brazil, but they're both going to have a very strong showing um, from their fans in the arena on the night. My question is, what Vitor shows up? Is it TRT Vitor who, you know, kicked Luke Rockhold's head off with a spinning heel kick? Or is it the 41-year-old dad bod Vitor who looks like he's on the back nine and actually is staring directly at the clubhouse because he's putting on the final green? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's almost, it's almost time for these guys and not it's time like they're going to be main event um you know headlining any main events anytime soon that's not what i mean it's time like it's time to start thinking about doing something else they're both amazing they're both legends they both reached the pinnacle i just don't see what is left for them to do other than continue to collect paychecks and brain trauma because if they go the way the last fights have gone for these guys you know, it's kind of the way it's going. The game is moving on. This is a young man's game, and the game is moving on. Vitor's 41 years old. I'm not sure how old uh, Lyoto is. He's not that old, but he's not, you know, he's clearly not a spring chicken either. Um, and I'm not going to go into each one of these guys' records because it, it fragments my talking to you guys. Um, so I may get some stuff wrong, uh, but I don't care. I'm just talking about the event because you know, it's the UFC. We need to boost this sport in, in the UK specifically. Um, and it, it and there's some stuff I want to talk about specifically with this card on the main, um, on the main event of the night. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen in the Vitor um, Lyoto fight. I would say like, you know, like I kicked off by saying it's going to be a, it's going to be a tale of has mother time caught up to these guys and who is, who, who's, who's had their door knocked on 
most recently? And what kind of Vitor are we going to see? Because if we see a berserker Vitor, I could see Machida getting knocked out early. We know what we're getting from Machida. We're getting bounce in, bounce out, right? In and out, in and out, in and out. Strike, in and out, in and out. Move, kick, you know, body kick. You know, we're getting the point karate style that we know from Lyoto, which was a unique thing. But now people know it. They time it. The timing is more easily figured out now than it was perhaps, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, so we know what we're going to get from Cheetah. I don't know what we're going to get from Vitor yet. And I think that's going to be the telltale sign. If we see TRT Vitor, I'm betting on, I'm betting on Vitor. If he comes in looking like dad bod, 40 plus years old, then I'm probably going to go with uh, Machida just because I think his style uh, will allow him to keep space, which will ultimately restrict an overhand right coming from Vitor, you know, those types of winging shots. So we'll see. We'll see. It should be a good fight, though. You know, a couple legends. Fuck it, man. Let them let them fight. But, you know, they're both kind of looking at the clubhouse. Um, Machida might be a couple of holes back, um, but he's not he's not trailing far behind. And I think, you know, it's just it becomes an inevitability, right? It's like, you know, you've got brain damage. Just how much of it do you have? What what's the rest of your life going to be? like in terms of quality so we'll see um moving on we got gary lineker uh versus kelleher uh brian kelleher to be honest i don't know a ton about him um but i know he beat hennen Barrow um in his last fight i believe you know but again it's it's hennen Barrow post usada post tj times two you know he's not the same Henan Brow he was a couple of years ago that was like 10 years undefeated he was you know on this Jose Aldo's level um of unbeatable and TJ figured him out pretty devastatingly and since then it's not been great for for Henan Brow and Brian Kelleher got that version but that said he's not you know he's not an easy out nobody in the UFC is an easy out but I just don't know what kind of representation in terms of his skill set you can take from that. And I don't, I, I saw the fight, but again, off the top of my head, I can't remember the details of it. So maybe I'm talking absolute shit and maybe this guy's a, a fucking storm, just a stormtrooper. He's just going to come in and just, uh, and just go for it. I don't know. What I do know is John Lineker. John Lineker is a savage. And that's why um, I'm going to say that John Lineker, you know, probably has, he'll, I don't know, he'll probably come, he'll probably come out the favorite on this. I don't know. Let me just check the odds real quick. Uh, no, it's not even showing me odds. Anyways, um, Hands of Stone, right? Hands of Stone is, is John Lineker's name, uh, nickname. He's ranked number six and Brian Kelleher is not. So this may be an opportunity for Brian Kelleher to make a name off a guy like John Lineker, who's tough as nails, loves to bang. You're never going to get a boring fight with John Lineker. And if he cracks you, the chances are you're going to fucking go to sleep. But Again, I can't say a lot about it because I don't know a ton about Brian Keller. Um, I think just by the nature of John Lineker being involved and 
Brian Kelleher's nickname is Boom, so maybe that's um, indicative of, of his fighting style. I don't know. I can't fucking remember that last fight um, with Burrell. I just know he won. I think he won a split decision or something. Um, so it should be an interesting fight. I can't call it. I don't know. Um, all I know is that John Lineker's been in there for a while, and we never know when, you know, when Father Time comes and... and and knocks on your door and says, that's it, kid. Maybe this is that fight. Maybe. You know, he's 30 and 8. But Kelleher is 19 and 8, you know, so he's not short in the tooth. Let's just put it that way. The only thing I can say for this fight is that it'll be exciting. And a potential fight of the night um, candidate for sure. Anytime John Lineker's on the roster and on the card, I should say. Uh, you've got an opportunity to have a, a just a barn burner of a fight. So I'll just say enjoy that one because it should be a really good one. Moving on, we have, again, a tale of two stories, right? We've got Mackenzie Dern versus Amanda Cooper. I don't know a ton about Amanda Cooper um, except that she's a boxing um, first style of fighter. And what we all know about Mackenzie Dern is that she is of the highest level and lineage in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Now, she had a little bit of a salty debut, did Mackenzie Dern, when she fought last time in the octagon, but she got that victory nevertheless. So maybe some nerves, maybe a bit of rust there, you know, new environment, lots of spotlights, lots of media attention on you. You know, you're kind of the new darling that's been introduced uh, to the UFC uh, community and all of the pageantry that comes with that uh, may have, you know, may have blinded her a little bit, maybe have got to her a little bit. So I'm looking for a much better performance out of Mackenzie Dern this time around. She cannot stand up with Amanda Cooper because her stand-up game is just not there yet. So with a boxer first style, the plan of action, I would guess, from Mackenzie Dern, like it will probably be with all of her fights, is get inside, get a hold, take her down, choke her out. Similar to like Rose, right? Punch him in the face, take the back, choke him out. Um, and I'm not comparing Mackenzie Dern to Rose Namajunas, by the way, so relax on that. Because Mackenzie Dern doesn't really have too much in terms of a stand-up game. She's okay. She's no fucking Rose, that's for sure. Um, she's no Joanna. She's no, you know what I mean? She's not, I mean, she's not even as good as Amanda Cooper on the feet. But the X factor is the ground. Because Amanda Cooper will seem like a complete fish out of water if she goes to the ground with Mackenzie Dern and it will probably take I would guess maybe 30 seconds for Mackenzie Dern to choke out a person like Amanda Cooper with a 4-3 and three record you know even though 50% of her 4 wins have come by submission one by TKO and one by uh, decision you know half of her victories have come by submission they haven't come via submission on anybody even in the same stratosphere as Mackenzie Dern. So Amanda Cooper needs to stay behind her jab, keep distance, keep Mackenzie Dern away from her because if she gets a hold of her, if Mackenzie Dern gets a hold of Cooper, she will take her down and she will submit her. That is an almost certain outcome. 
the only saving grace that Amanda Cooper has in any way, shape, or form is the clock running out of the round to save her from being choked out. And I'm saying this without knowing her pedigree of jiu-jitsu or her grappling prowess or takedown defense or any of that stuff, which I'm sure is very good. But she's got a 4-3 and three record, and she's never... She's a boxing-style fighter, which tells me how she likes to fight, obviously. She's never fought anybody like Mackenzie Dern. So I'm going to go with Mackenzie Dern because I think the inevitability will be that she will get a hold of Amanda Cooper, she will take her down, and she will submit her. If not then it's going to be a decision victory one way or another, I think. They do not want Amanda Cooper knocking out Mackenzie Dern. Let me tell you that. Nobody in the top exec level of the UFC wants Mackenzie Dern KO'd. Nobody. They have given her this fight. With all due respect to Amanda Cooper and all due respect to Mackenzie Dern, they have given her this because it's a good matchup for her to highlight what she's best at. So expect the submission by Mackenzie Dern as soon as she can get a hold of her. So, moving on. Moving on. Co-main event of the night is a fun one, I think. We've got um, Jacare versus Kelvin. So, Mr. Ronaldo Souza fighting in, uh, in his home country, getting recognized all over the place, I'm sure. Um... He's fighting Kelvin Gastelum. So it's a number two versus a number five um, in the middleweight division. 185 pounders here. And, you know, Kelvin's look great. I mean, Kelvin's boxing is is sharp. It's clean. His stand-up is great. His kickboxing is good. You know, and uh, he's got some good, good victories. He was choked out by uh, Weidman, I think, in his last fight. Or did he, did he beat Bisbing? He beat Bisbing in his last fight and I think got choked out by Weidman in the fight before that. Well, the stand-up is kind of on show with Bisbing because that left hook he caught him with was clean money. Um, you know, albeit Bisbing was coming off a short turnaround uh, from the GSP um, kind of TKO submission um, on that one. But... Jacare lost to Robert Whitaker, and I'm not saying that Robert Whitaker and Kelvin Gastelum are the same thing because they're absolutely not. But they got clean stand-up. Both of them got clean stand-up, and Jacare had a problem with that with uh, Whitaker. Now, Whitaker is much faster than Kelvin. He's much more dynamic than Kelvin. Athletically, he's you know he's more talented than Kelvin. But Kelvin's a savage. Kelvin's 15 and 3, let's not forget, right? But Jacare is probably top three or four all-time jiu-jitsu MMA grapplers that's ever been in the UFC. And I'm talking the likes of Fabrizio Verdum, Damian Maya, you know, now Mackenzie Dern, obviously she's super high level. But Jacare has a grip on him and He's got very, very proficient and aggressive grappling. So that could be a problem. Like if, if Kelvin gets choked out by Weidman, there's no issue there that Jacare can submit him as long as he, you know, as long as he gets him in, in, in a good position. So there's no issue there in terms of Jacare being able to 
submit. But also, if you look at Jacare's record, it's kind of like scattered. It's like submission, loss, um, submission, KO, decision, submission, KO. Um, and I think it's reflected. Yeah, like 56% of his wins are, it says on the tail of the tape here, are submission. 28% knockouts or TKO, and then 16% are decisions. So for a guy as proficient on the ground as Jacare is, he does actually get 30% of his wins by KO or TKO, right? So he likes to bang. He likes to bang. But it didn't work out for him when he fought Whitaker. And I'm comparing, obviously, Kelvin to the top of the heap. But Kelvin has fucking sick stand-up. He's got really clean boxing. So there's an opportunity there that if Jacare gets sucked into a stand-up match with him, that he could come out, Jacare could come out on the losing end of that fight. I don't know. You've got, again, you've got clean stand-up versus amazing jiu-jitsu. So we got two tales here, right? Story, two stories going on with this fight. Um, who can impose? Who can impose? Kelvin's had weight issues before. His cardio seems to be in check now. You know, Jacare is a savage and a legend, and that's why he's ranked number two and has been in the top three, what, for the last three or four years, I think. Um, this is going to be a very, very good fight, I think. And if Kelvin can light him up, it could be over early. So um, I'm, I think I'm going to go with Kelvin on this. And I love Jacare. Love Jacare, but I think I'm going to go with Kelvin on this. But again, we're in Brazil, so you can't count that out as an X factor. So we'll see. Main event. The main event. Got through that pretty quick, I think. So the main event is between Amanda Nunez and Raquel Pennington. And... Let me just start by saying I don't think there's a, I don't think Raquel Pennington has a chance in hell of beating Amanda Nunez. I think Amanda Nunez is possibly the best bantamweight fighter of all time in the females uh, in female MMA. She's uh, got such powerful stand up. She's proficient on the ground. She's got good cardio. She's aggressive, um, but she, you know she's clean with her striking. And she's beaten everybody. Everybody. Valentina Shevchenko, Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate. You know, everybody. Valentina Shevchenko is the next best thing in the bantamweight division right now, in my opinion. And Amanda Nunez has beaten her twice via decision. Once unanimously and once in a split decision. Raquel Pennington has had some good fights. And she's... Got some momentum behind her. But she's never faced a level of competition that Amanda Nunez has. And she's never experienced what Amanda Nunez has. And what I mean by that is five round championship fights under the spotlights against the biggest competition on the biggest stage in the world. Raquel Pennington has not had that. So I think it's going to be a really difficult thing for her to overcome. You know, the skill set plus the experience I think it's just far too much for her. And she's number two seed, and I get it. So, kind of. But <clears throat> I honestly don't think she has a uh, much of a chance. Very, 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 very slim chance. You know, fighter's chance, puncher's chance. 
everything else is stacked on Amanda Nunez's side. But what really intrigues me about this is the UFC's absolute mishandling of these two women and their partners, by the way. And what I mean by that is that you've got two high-level, successful, one-champion lesbian women on your roster. Not only that, but Amanda Nunez's uh, girlfriend or fiancé is also, um, I think she's a strawweight uh, fighter. And Raquel Pennington's girlfriend or fiancé, I don't know what the commitment status is, apologies, um, is Tisha Torres, who's in the, is it the flyweight division? Anyways, smaller division, right? So for two really high-profile fighters, Tisha Torres is kind of making her way back up to that title um, fight type of spot. But right now you've got these two women, and these are headlining a UFC main event card. Yet the lack of promotion around both of these women previously and including this event is absolutely shocking. The lack of narrative, the lack of storytelling, you know, the lack of ambition to attract a wider audience, especially one from the LGBT community, is really just a huge misstep, for, in, in my opinion, by the UFC's marketing PR team. You know, whoever's in charge of athletic or fighter um, public relations and development should be fucking fired. Because Amanda Nunez has had like a really hard upbringing, has made it through a lot of like really, really tough circumstances and come up to become arguably the best bantamweight MMA fighter um, the women's combat sport has ever, ever seen. She's beaten everybody. She's beaten everybody. And her next fight's probably going to be against Cyborg. Right? And I don't obviously count chickens before they hatch, especially in the fight game, but I think this is pretty much... I mean, I don't know what the odds are. I'll see if they even give them to me. Raquel Pennington's a 7-1 to one underdog. So, yeah. But the story of this fight is about obviously cementing Nunez's, you know, ongoing legacy development that she's she's putting together. Um, <clears throat> but the story is also the lack of ambition by the UFC to promote these two amazing fighters, scrappy, tough, resilient women to their base in a way that would, again, help your bottom line because it would broaden your viewership, it would broaden your audience, it would broaden the interest of the sport, you know, within a growing community, a more vocal community, you know, and one that is, let's say, in fashion to be siding with. If, I don't know if that sounded wrong, you know, there's like, there's like all this momentum, right, with LGBT community and their rights and, you know, the protests that have happened and, you know, all of the different things around this community, both positively and negatively. It's always in the fucking news, you know, whether somebody's having a go at them 
or they're having to go at each other, you know, or whatever it is. These two are real positive members of that community. And to bring them up, shine a spotlight on them and draw attention to them for all of their accomplishments, all of their hard work, all of their dedication, all of their resiliency, is just a huge misstep by the UFC. You have the opportunity to do something that you've never done before and that no other professional sport has embraced before, and that's homosexuality. Right? Think about it. Think of the other major sports in America. And then name me... I just named you three openly gay fighters. Can you name me three openly gay NFL players? Or NBA players? Or... <coughs> NFL... Or um, baseball players? Or whatever. Soccer players? Whatever. It just doesn't seem to happen on the men's side of the sport or in men's sport in general. And I don't follow any other female sports because they're shit, let's be honest. Um, so I don't know if there's other openly gay women playing in the WNBA or the women's um, soccer or whatever it is. I mean, what other fucking women's professional sports are there? Um that are, you know, worth talking about in terms of, you know, the big four. You know, to make my fucking point is what I'm saying. So this is a huge opportunity for the UFC to step forward and say we are the socially, social, socially conscious, socially aware sport. Even though we have, we run this, and it's a combat sport and it's the most vicious, violent combat sport the most primal sport, we still embrace all things, all communities, and 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 are joyous in our celebration of diversity. Something like that. I mean, when Amanda Nunez fought Ronda Rousey, she wasn't even on the fucking posters. The promo was fucking three minutes long of Ronda Rousey training in a garage, coming back from the Holly Home head kick that sent her fucking noggin into outer space and the rest of her body flat laying on the ground. And what did Amanda Nunez do? Fucking pieced her up even quicker than Holly did because she hits like a tank. And as soon as Ronda felt her jab and her one-two, she was like, oh, fuck, I need to go and do WWE now. I'm, I'm actually not as good as I thought I was. And actually, I haven't diversified my skill set so actually I am now shit and I've been figured out and will forever be figured out Amanda Nunez dismantled her in a way that it made me think retrospectively of CM Punk and how, how fish out of water he looked when she fought Holly I'm talking about Ronda Rousey when she fought Holly and then when she fought Amanda Nunez she looked like she played a different sport she didn't look like a fighter at all. And that's what Amanda Nunez does to a lot of people. She makes them look very ordinary. So on the social side, I think the UFC's missed a real trick here. Um, on the fight side, I think Amanda Nunez is going to whoop Raquel Pennington's ass. But 
again, she's a scrappy ass fighter is Raquel. Um, you know, her nickname is Rocky for a reason. She goes to war. She loves to fight and these women can fucking bang. So it's going to be, it should be a great fight for however long it lasts. I don't expect it to go five rounds. I expect, um, I expect Nunez to find her range, piece her up. And I don't think, I don't think Pennington will enjoy that very much and will succumb. So that's my call. That's my call on the event. That's my call on the social side of it. That's my call on everything in the fight game that's been happening that I think is worth talking about this week. And sprinkle a little salt on it, baby. Gave you that Trump update too. So you're fucking welcome, all right? But before we go, I just wanna, um, I just wanna click some upcoming events, right? And just say, cause we're gonna do these things Sometimes when, when they're worth it, we'll do them. When there's a good card, like some of the ones I'm going to run through now, we'll do preview or, you know, kind of breakdown shows for them. And if they're a little, if they're a little weaker, if they're maybe, you know, if the roster or the lineup that night isn't looking, you know, like I want to fucking talk about it, then, uh, then maybe we'll do a recap, um, that will fall into one of the normal episodes, but for the good cards, for the for the ones that really, really stack up, we'll do some previews. And I just want to give you a couple of um, a couple of heads ups on the ones that we most definitely will be covering. Right? So not sure about the Usman Damian Mayo fight, because I really don't fucking like Kamaru Usman at all. He's a great fighter, I guess. You know, nobody, I guess people have been avoiding him. Not so much anymore. But, like, I, I just, I, there's something about him. I don't fucking like him. And I know what I'm getting from Damian Maya, and I don't know who else is on that card. So, maybe is the answer to that. Because that's the next event. That's on the 20th of May. I might not even be around for that. Um, but, on the 27th of May... So two weeks time, we're in Liverpool. Ooh, baby, we're in Liverpool. And I'm definitely, most definitely breaking this motherfucking card down. And I don't even give a shit who else is on it. The main event is all I need. As long as one of these motherfuckers don't get hurt and we, and we get this fight going on the night. I mean, I'm so excited for this fight. It's Darren Till versus Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Okay? And people, some, like, I talk to people about fighting sometimes and, and, and MMA sometimes. And some people don't like Wonderboy. They don't think he's very good. <laughs> Which just makes me laugh my fucking ass off. And then makes me want to turn and walk away from that person as quickly as possible. And it's happened on numerous occasions. Oh, Wonder Boy, he doesn't... Oh, yeah, he's a karate guy, right? He doesn't really fucking do anything. Excuse me? The pedigree of Wonder Boy's karate and kickboxing is unmatched, for the most part, globally. He's one of the best kickboxers that we've had. And now he's made that transition to MMA. He trains with Chris Weidman, so he's getting his wrestling, his takedown defense... 
Wonder Boy is one of the most dynamic fighters in the UFC today. My only problem is people are starting to time his stance switches and that could become a problem. One thing that's not going to be a problem is action in this fucking fight because unlike the Woodley Wonder Boy fights, plural, where it was effectively a stalemate, I I just don't see this being one of those. Darren Till is too aggressive. He's too dynamic to sit back and worry about the distance or the in and out movement of the point style, point karate style fighting of, of Wonder Boy. Which means we could get real loose in this one. And if we get real loose, we could see Wonder Boy get real loose. And then who the fuck knows what happens? You know? Because he can spinning heel kick you just like Barbosa can. But what Darren Till did to Cowboy put him on everybody's radar. And I would say that if you asked before the Cowboy fight, if you would have asked 10 UFC fans, guys who watch the sport regularly, who Darren Till is, none of them would have told you. None of them would have had a clue. But this kid has a story. And I would love to interview him. I would fucking love to interview Darren Till. He's, he's, he's you know, he's a Liverpool boy. You know, he's lived in Brazil and he's done this and that and the other thing. But I suspect after this fight, he might be moving to the States. I don't know. I don't want to speculate. I don't want to presume anything. But this kid, man, he is, he is devastating. He's fucking devastating. I can't even describe it to you. The way he throws, his long reach is just, and with such power and snap on it. I mean... Did you see the cowboy fight? He fucking murked cowboy. Absolutely murked him. People were like, who's this guy? Why is cowboy taking this fight? I don't know why cowboy took the fight. Because if he knew what Darren Till was going to do to him, he probably wouldn't have. Well, I can't say that. Cowboy's a fucking anytime, place kind of guy. So he probably would have still took the fight. But Darren Till is for real, boys and girls. That was not a fluke. Now, does he get the win over Wonder Boy? Who knows? I'm going to give you my prediction closer to the fight. But what I know is that Darren Till will have a 170 strap on him very, very soon. And I think when he gets the 170 strap, he's going to go and get the 185 strap too. And when he gets that, who the fuck knows? Maybe he'll just put on a bunch of weight, go to 205, and go after that one as well. I'm telling you, boys and girls, this is what this kid is. This kid is a different thing, man. I'm telling you. Be aware of Darren Till. And be aware, especially those of you in the UK, because we want your support on this. You're not getting a ticket to that event, by the way. That motherfucker is been sold out. Support this kid. Get this kid on your radar because I'm telling you, he stays healthy. This kid's going to run through people. Run through people. Now, this is a big step up in terms of Cowboy to Wonder Boy. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to come back to it, right? Because this is not a breakdown. This is not a breakdown. But I'm just so hyped. 
And if I wasn't fucking around, I would have got tickets to this goddamn event and I would have been there in person. But it's fine because I'm it's local time, so it'll be at six o'clock in the evening. Um, which means it's going to be like an afternoon fight in America, which is weird on a Sunday because that's football time. So I don't know what the fuck they're playing at with that. Why didn't they put it on at 10? Maybe they're trying to take advantage of the early game. I don't know. I don't know. It's really weird though. Um, but everybody in the UK that has an interest in, in MMA, combat sports or anything, you need to pay attention to this. It's in two weeks time, Sunday, May 27th, Liverpool, UK, Echo Arena, Till versus Thompson. It's going to be a fucking banger. Okay. And then um, not too distant future, we see Yoel versus Whitaker for the middleweight title, the rematch of that. Um, obviously, Whitaker won the first fight, but then uh, contracted like a massively aggressive staph infection and was out uh, for some time. Um, but he seems to be. A, to have recovered, he seems to be back in action, and he seems to be ready to go, and he is a motherfucking savage too, but you've got Yoel Romero, and Yoel Romero is all the way full retard crazy, and I mean that in a really good way, I fucking, I think Yoel Romero is batshit crazy, but who wouldn't be, I mean, if you haven't heard Yoel's story, just go and listen to him on Joe Rogan, where Joey Diaz um, translated a lot of that. It was a phenomenal episode, and I think I gave a shout out to these guys when it actually happened. But Joey did, Joey Diaz did an amazing job being a translator uh, for Yoel, um, so the rest of us could understand kind of what that journey was like for Romero getting over to the states because it was fucking crazy. Um, but Whitaker's a monster. And uh, I can't wait for that one as well. That's the 9th of June, folks. Um, and then we've got maybe the greatest fight weekend of the year. I don't know. I don't know. I have to check the wider cards. But I know the two main events got me uh, got me a little, a little raised up in my pants. We got Friday, July 6th and Saturday, July 7th. So not too distant future, right? I'm talking two months. The main event on both of these cards, so I'm going to talk about, and then we're going to close this motherfucker down because the sun's shining, I'm starving, and the dogs want to go out. So there's shit to do, and uh, I still got some work to do as well. This weekend, July 6th and July 7th, Las Vegas, Nevada, you have the Ultimate Fighter finale, which sees the main event being... Uh, Brad Tavares versus um, Israel Adesanya. Israel Adesanya is the up-and-coming guy. He's, you know, he's the next one. Um, if you haven't seen him fight, I'm not going to, again, go into it right now, but he's he's something else. Him and Zabit, uh, are, or Zabit are my two, like, ones to watch, along with, obviously, fucking Darren Till, who I just jerked off all over the microphone on but these two guys are are also two massive up-and-comers to watch so if you don't know ask somebody get on youtube and check it out so friday we've got adesanya versus tavares 
for the um, for the tough finale. And then the very next day, Saturday night, we got Champ versus Champ. We got Stipe versus Cormier. Heavyweight Champ versus light heavyweight Champ. <laughs> this could solidify Stipe is the greatest heavyweight of all time because Daniel Cormier is undefeated when fighting at heavyweight. Or this could put Daniel Cormier as one of the top five greatest of all time. Because like I just said, he's a strike force Grand Prix champion at heavyweight. He's undefeated when competing at heavyweight. And the only person that he's lost to in his MMA career is John Jones twice. And there's huge fucking question marks around those fights because we don't know how much juice was running through his veins when Cormier fought him. Now, do I think that Cormier beats John Jones? No, because John Jones is like an alien that's come down from another planet and said, hey, 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 I'm just acting like a human, but I'm actually way stronger, way more creative, and just way tougher than all you fucks and way more skilled, right? He's like a different fucking thing, John Jones is, right? But he's a massive fuck up, so he's out of the conversation for now, and we're focusing on this. Stipe versus Cormier is, whew, gives me goosebumps all over my nutsack. Fucking love it. I love it, and I can't wait for this because there's such implications of grand status for the victor. Stipe's come into his own most title defenses in the heavyweight division in UFC history you know he's beaten everybody they've put in front of him and he never cries about who his fucking opponent is you know he's a workman he's a full-time firefighter still and he's a real down-to-earth guy you know he's just a fucking badass with a huge head that likes to fuck people up and then go save kittens from trees and burning buildings and shit I love it Cormier, nicest guy in the fucking world. Gentleman, familyman, Olympic wrestler. Undefeated except four, right? I mean, we've got real legacies on the line in this fight. So on the Friday, you get the up and coming Adesanya and a Tavares who's kind of coming back into it. And then Saturday, we got we got legacy to talk about. So we're definitely breaking that down um, the week of the fight. I'm sure there's going to be a ton of media on that. There's going to be a ton of um, exposure to that. So we'll come in. We'll give you our thoughts on those cards. And that basically takes us up to July, uh, beginning of July. And then there's some other stuff that's kind of later on in the year. But we'll get to that. One specifically is the um, TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt rematch. Um, but that's all the way in August, so we've got some time on that. But those are the cards that I'm really looking forward to that are coming up in the next couple of months, and we're going to break those ones down. All the kind of like little fight nights and shit like that, it'll be completely dependent on what the cards are, but I'm not going to spend any more time on breaking that down. I'm going to get the fuck out of here because I'm starving. Starving. And my dogs keep looking at me, and the sun is shining. So we got to get out there and get that vitamin D on the skin. Not too much. Be careful. But enjoy the sunshine. We never know in England how much of it we're going to get. So you have to take advantage of every minute. So that's a wrap. But we're keeping it coming. 
This is episode 31, and we're going to keep it coming. I don't know if we're going to do any more uh, this week. Probably not. So I'm going to probably come back at you next week, um, and we'll see what the see what the world is saying. Just looking at the news now, and BT are cutting 13,000 jobs. So, whew, not great. Um, they're trying to save uh, 1.5 billion pounds. So they're going to make 13,000 people jobless. Fantastic. Fuck you guys. Um, we're going to come back at you guys. We're going we're gonna to come back at you probably next week. So um, have a great weekend. Hope you enjoyed the show. We're going to keep this ball rolling. I think when momentum is back up now. So I think we've done three episodes in the course of a week, which is great. And that's what we want to do. And we're going to keep this thing coming at you. Right? Full of enthusiasm, full of life, full of passion. With a big dick in our hands and a positive outlook. We're coming at you. But that's it for today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Again, have a great weekend. Enjoy the sunshine. If it is sunny, wherever you are. And until next time, guys, all the best.